And when you do that, God just, you know, God just moves on your behalf and cleanses you from all unrighteousness so that all that remains is righteousness. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. We'll go ahead and be seated. And uh, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And I want to talk to you this week uh, about reverencing the things of God. And that kind of ties in a little bit to what we talked about last week. When we talked about uh, making your life a living sacrifice. In your life, you know, the word of God says that I beseech you, brother, that you that you would like to become a living sacrifice for the Lord. Uh, a living sacrifice, really so we look at the sacrifice is it should die. So things of your flesh, when you become a living sacrifice, things of the flesh should die. Things that the spirit should live. All right, and this kind of ties into that because you can't reverence the things of God of the Lord unless you have died to yourself. You you have become a living sacrifice. You're not going to you're not going to really reverence the things of God or understand them. I mean, there be some things that you, do. but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of things we're going to talk about in the beginning. This first part I'm going to talk about. Uh, reverencing God for yourself what the Bible says about you and if you look here at Psalm 139 verse 14 it says I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made a lot of people when they look at themselves they have preconceived ideas of themselves that they're not good enough um, uh, people people look down on them and or complain of them, or they even just complain of themselves. They don't have a good attitude about themselves. And sometimes it's it's by outside sources that's caused you to have that attitude. But a lot of times it's, it's by how you look at yourself. You go look in the mirror and, and you, you, you find faults. If you do that, you need to stop. You need to quit doing that. Quit looking at yourself in the mirror and finding fault. Quit looking at yourself as a Christian uh, if you've repented, all right. If you repented, then you shouldn't look at yourself and 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 uh, and see the things that you did in the past and say, "Well, you know, I blew it then." Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! See, you you don't understand how the kingdom operates. And if you haven't repented, well, then that's why you look at yourself. Those things are still there because repentance is not repentance unless you do it, right? True repentance is not repentance. And unless you really mean it in your heart and you confess it, you ask the Lord to forgive you. Amen? You know, because a lot of times what happens with a lot of people is when when they've done something wrong, they just assume, well, God will forgive me. So what do they do? They, they never ask. Me. Well, are they forgiven? Not really. They're going to walk around with guilt. Why? Because they never asked for forgiveness. For, forgiveness is not going to be received unless it's asked for. Unless you put a demand on it. You know, somebody, for instance, somebody could have borrowed, say, uh, three or four hundred dollars from me. Alright? And uh, they, add, they, they, they said they'd pay it back, but then they made somewhere, something happened in their life and they made the determination they were going to pay it back. Well, I can take that situation. I can say, well, Lord, you know, this person owes me, and that's happened more than once, so don't try to think of, I'm thinking one time in particular. Uh, I, uh, there's a lot of people I think of, oh, but I forgive and understand what But here, let me share with you what I mean about forgiving and forgiveness is every one of those people have never come around me anymore. Why? Because they, they in their minds, still don't think and know that they owe me money. Meanwhile, I've told the Lord, Lord, I forgive them. I don't want the money back. 
I don't want the money back. So what happens is that person walks around the rest of their life thinking, I can't run into my basket because if I do, he's going to remind me of that money that I owe him. So what happens in their life? They're walking up, they're living a life of fear. Not, not fear of, of me so much as fear and having to pay a debt that they know they can't pay or they're not ready to pay or not whatever's going on in their life for some reason they can't do what's right. And sometimes it's not that they're not able to pay sometimes it's just they don't want to. Why? Because I understand people have a love of money. They love money more than they do God. The church is guilty of that. 98% of the church loves money more than they love God. I say the so-called church. I already say there's only about 2% that's really the church. Because they don't, they, they don't love money. They're willing to give. So what happens is in that case, a person, like I said, will live their life. Alright? Never receive forgiveness. Whereas if, if those people that owe me money come in and say, my I know you owe your money. I'm sorry. I should have paid you back. I was saying, hey, look, don't worry about it. I forgive you. Well, what about the money? Really? Yeah. See, in, in a lot of ways, with with Christians, we're that way. With, with people, we're that way. Because we look at ourselves, our situations, and we look at what's happened in the past, and we think, Man, I was a bad person. I really just I really messed up there. When all you had to do was come to the altar and ask God to forgive you. Or you could do it right where you're at. You say, Lord, forgive me. Or come to the or go to a person and say, Hey, brother, sister, forgive me. What I did was wrong. Alright? And then and then, you know, as a Christian, we're commanded to forgive. Them. We're commanded to forgive. Them. But see, you're not really receiving forgiveness if you just assume that, well, God will forgive me, but I, and I don't, I don't need to ask Him. That's not true. You do need to ask God, because otherwise, the devil going to eat your lunch, and you're going to walk through your your life thinking, I'm not worthy. Woe is me! But see, the Bible says you you are fearfully and wonderfully made. A lot of people look at that and say, well, I was fearfully. No, that's not what it says. It says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're going to see here in the Word what the Word says about you and what God put in you. And that's why you can't look and judge yourself. And, you know, you can't look at your, your, yourself and say, well, you know, if I only was 50 pounds lighter or if I had blonde hair instead of brown hair or I had blue eyes instead of green eyes or, you know, and the thing goes on and on and on. Now, not that you shouldn't take care of our bodies. We should take care of our bodies. But a lot of people just get hung up in, in, in how they view themselves and then forget that, that God made you fearfully and wonderfully did He make you. He put things in you. Alright? For, for instance, what has the world been trying to do this last year and a half? They've been trying to tell you that your body doesn't have inside of it what it needs to overcome this pandemic. If you take care of your body, if God put inside you healing qualities, qualities in our body that helps us overcome sickness. Not that God's against medicine or anything like that. He's against the wrong kind of medicine. You know, I don't believe God wants us, you know, God wants us to put the wrong kind of medicine in our bodies. Back in the 60s and 70s, a lot of people were about putting raw medicine in their bodies. Illegally. Now they're legally wanting to, wanting to put us put medicine, the raw medicine in our bodies. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's go to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 
Verse 19, he says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Well, see, we talked about that. You know, we talked about that last week. If you didn't get that message, go back and watch it. Watch it again or get the audio and listen to it again. You're a living sacrifice. You're, you're, you're not your own anymore. As a Christian, you're not your own. But notice what Paul says. He says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The temple of God. All right, and that and, and that word temple is is the same word temple that they used back in the Old Testament. It means a highly decorated, a holy of holies. Nobody went to the temple without a sacrifice. You know, I alluded to that earlier. Nobody went to the temple without a sacrifice. Well, your body is a temple of God. God lives in your body. You got you got to get that revelation. God lives. In your body, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in our body. It's not a like spirit or one similar. It's the same spirit lives in you. So when we look at what the word says about God said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made as a believer. See, that just changed everything. That word holy, it means to be separate. All right? Set, set aside for God's use. Um, let's go back here. To 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And we want to look at verse 16. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what we're going to look at is that word says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word literally means God breathed. God breathed into man the Word of God. This Bible that you have, all right, all because all Scripture is God breathed. God breathed into it. If I were to take a balloon, all right, go down to the store here and get just any any balloon and bring it here, and I was to blow that thing up, continue to blow it until it was as full as, as it could be, all right, then I tied it off. Do you know that science could go inside that balloon and take the molecules that were in there and those molecules will identify them as Mike Baskin? All right? Science can do that. It's the very same thing here with the Word of God. Why could I do that with the balloon? Because I breathed into the balloon. God breathed into the Word. All right, God breathed into man. Man wrote the word. So this is God's breath in here. This Bible that you and I have, it's a lie. It's a lie. The word, the word even says that. For the word of God is a lie. Amen? It, it's a lie. So God breathed this word into us. 
God breathed His Spirit into you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God put it in there. Alright? So if God put His Spirit in you, alright, and, and in, the, in God's temple we should give reverence to it. See, that ties in what we, what we learn about, about our lives should be a living sacrifice. Right? To God. Everything that you do, you're not, you shouldn't be doing it on your own. You should be doing it to the glory of God. Alright? So let's, let's go back here to Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1 and verse 7, it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. What's that word saints? That, same, that word saints is the same word for, for holy, to mean separated, holy, consecrated. Never to be used in a common way. When you look at the Bible here, it says Holy Bible, right? The Greek of that is, is Biblius. Alright? All that all that word means Biblius means his book. And so it says holy book. If you went in, you know, there's lots of there's lots of uh, Books that have book on, have biblios on them. It just means a, a collection of books. But this one on here that says a holy Bible means this one is separate. This one has been set apart for God's use. It's been consecrated. All right? Never to be used in a common way. That's what separates the Bible from everything else out there, every other book out there, is it's separate. God separated it from everything else. If God separated it from everything else, now he says to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, are called to be holy. Who are, who are the saints? If you're a Christian, you're a saint. Saint, be, becoming a saint is not something that you get because you did a lot of good works here on earth, although good works are important, right? But you are holy because God said, be ye holy for I am holy. Be separate. Paul said it another way. He said, you are, we are a peculiar people. We're not like everybody else. That should be more evident today. I know it is more evident today than at any other time. Now we got people, they don't even know what gender they are. I mean, there's, 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 there's idiots in the world that they have no idea what gender they are. They don't know whether they're man, woman, or, or I don't know how many stupid genders they, they think there are, but God's Word says he, he created them man and woman. There's only two genders. Male and female. There's not more than there's not more than two. So God created us holy. We're saints. We're separated from the world. And thank God we are. And that divine line is becoming further and further and further away. The world is should shouldn't be nothing like you. If you have if you have things that you you are tied to the world with, all right? It's not the world, it's you. You haven't made your body a living sacrifice. You're living, you're trying to live in the world. And Jesus already said you can't serve, you can't serve God. And you can't serve mammon. Mammon is what? Mammon is the world system. You cannot serve God and mammon. I didn't say it. He said it. He said you'll hate one and you'll love the other. Guess which one you're going to hate? 
him. And always remember that word hate doesn't mean something you do right before you hit it or kill it or whatever. It's not, it doesn't mean biblical hate does not mean. A lot of times people say, Well, I don't hate God. Well, no, I didn't say you're trying to kill him or you want to be dead or you want to hit him or they didn't say that. And that's what they think hate means. No, hate simply means this to love less. To love less than all. To love less. So we take that what Jesus said. You'll love you'll you'll hate one and love the other. In other words, what he was saying is, you'll love one, and you'll love God less than the world's way. You'll love the world's way, but your love for God will be—it'll be a little bit less than what you love. So the Bible calls that hate. He said, "You can't serve—you can't serve God and you can't serve man." You know, hell's filled up with a lot of people in the church. Hell's, hell is full of a lot of people. They live their lives. They went to church. What did they, what did they fail to they, do? They, they never gave their life to the Lord. Giving your life to the Lord means you give, your, you give Him your life. You purpose to start living your life every day for Him, not for you. You allow Him to lead you. God, you know, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. So the word of God does what? It shows you where you're standing. And if you find out you're standing in the wrong place, guess what? You need to get in the right place. Right? Because the word of God will show you that you're standing in sin. But let's go here to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul says this is very interesting, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. What does it mean by, by treasure? Well, the word treasure means wealth. And not just any old wealth. It means immense wealth. Astonishing wealth inexhaustible wealth. So the Word of God is saying that we have this wealth in us. And it, it's what? It's in an earthen vessel. Alright? Now it's kind of interesting because this word vessel here means it means an inferior, substandard, a low grade, although nicely painted. Alright? This word actually was used to describe um a pot, a clay pot that they used back in that day. A lot of people use clay pots, uh, you know, for, for eating and drinking and things like that. But the clay pots were were very inexpensive. Even though they would they would paint them and decorate them and they looked nice, they were very weak and they and, and they broke very easily. And see, really, that's what it's a picture of. It's talking about us because our bodies are what it's weak. Your flesh is not going to live forever. Right? If, if you don't if you don't treat your body right, what will happen? It'll die. It'll die. So that's what he's saying. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, because the power of God that comes out of you, all right, is God Himself, because you are the temple of the living God. And if you think back in the Old Testament. Where, where was God? He was in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark, the story about the Ark of the Covenant? And everywhere they carried the Ark of the Covenant, all right, the Israelites would win the wars. And then there was a point in time where 
the, the enemy got the Ark of the Covenant and people started dying. Right? People would get around the Ark and, and they started dying. So the enemy, what did they do? The, they, they gave the Ark back to the Israelites because everybody, every time they got around it, they killed them. So David and his men, as they, as they brought the Ark back, one of the men didn't handle the Ark properly. Remember, he touched it because it, it looked like it was beginning to fall, and he reached out to steady it, and he died instantly. What? Because of the power of God. Well, how was it that that power of God was able to come inside us? It needed a sacrifice. Who was the sacrifice? Jesus was the sacrifice. All right? It, in, it enabled God when Jesus died on the cross for you and me that when we as believers and see this is this is really what separates a believer from a faith. Yes, I, I, I hate to break this news to you, but churches are full of thinkers. The Bible even talks about. It. The Bible even talks about. It. Yeah, he said that there's wheats and there's tares. In the, in, in the body of Christ. And if you remember the story that they, they asked the Lord, well, well, do we go in and take the tares out? He said, no, 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 just wait. When the harvest is ready, then the angels will come and they'll gather the tares and throw them into where? The fire. What's the fire? It's a picture of hell. But the, the wheat will gather and put into barns. Storage houses. So see, there, we well as a as a pastor, we as a pastor and pastors, we know that we have tares in our churches. We still preach the word, all right. And some of those tares will get a hold of the word and will receive the word and it'll change them. And guess what? Behold, I make everything new. Is what he said. So the tear does what? It changes into a wheat. But some of the tares will remain tares. They never will change. They'll sit, in church, they'll sit in church seat, and, and this may be happening to people in here right now. You may be hearing this, and this is having no effect on you whatsoever. It's, it's not moving you one way or the other. You just like, It's like in one ear and out the other. I'm just doing my duty. You're a terror. You are a terror. This one's real simple. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying you're a terror because... If the Word of God doesn't have an effect on you and cause you to rethink and change and draw a little closer to Him, I'm not saying you got to be like me or like Smith Wigglesworth or like Billy Graham. God doesn't need any more of those. He needs you to be you, to do what you do. Because He's put a treasure in an earthen vessel in you. All right? And you're holy. You're to be separate. You and I were to be separate. Do you, do you remember when uh, Moses was in the desert with the burning bush? And and as God as Moses came to the burning bush, what did God say to him? He said, "Remove your remove your sandals, your shoes. Take your shoes off." Why? He said, "This is holy ground." When God's presence came, all right. And consumed that bush on, and put it on fire, and it didn't burn. All right, that was God's presence. God changed that mountain into holy ground. His presence did. Now, rabbis will tell you the reason why why uh, priests and Moses didn't weren't allowed to wear shoes into the temple of God was because they carried on it the particles of the world. And they had to enter into the temple on the, and barefoot because their shoes was contaminated with things of the world, contaminated with sin. And that's what God was saying to Moses. Remove your shoes because this is holy ground. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Think about that, what God has put in you. He said, be ye holy because I'm holy. Be separate. All right? You're holy ground. 
You're the temple of God. I see that there's there's some deep revelation in this if you're if you're listening to the Spirit of God say. Because when He put His presence in you, that same power that was that's in you was in the Ark of the Covenant. The same one when they when they tried to steady it, it killed them. It's in you. That power is in you as a believer. Not one like it. It's the same one. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us in in this temple. According to God. Now I want to want you to look, take a real quick look at the church, how God looks at the church. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Look there. Because when you start to get your yourself, when you start seeing yourself as, as holy, then you're going to look and see how God looks at his church. In Hebrews 12, look at verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says this, To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. I want to look at that word general assembly. All right? General assembly means this. A very large... conducts laws and verdicts are issued publicly. Ideas are exchanged there in a general assembly. All right, this is the Greek meaning of that word general assembly. Slaves are purchased there in a general assembly. What, what's purchased here? The redeemed. People that are in slavery are redeemed. All right, they're saved. It's a forum where God's people meet. The church is to be the ecclesia, to be called out. All right, the first ecclesia was in Athens. There were 6,000 people that were called out. They were called, they were separated to be God's representatives to the cities. So, you know, by, by definition, the general assembly, the church, all right, is the, is the called out ones. It's the assembling together of the called out ones. Those that establish laws, all right, and verdicts, and they're, and they're issued publicly. So what happens at church? It's a place where we come, where laws are, are talked about, all right? Issues are talked about. Ideas are exchanged. Okay? To do what? To line up with the Word of God. So just because the world says, well, we do things this way, doesn't mean that's the way the church does it. As a matter of fact, most of the time, it's the opposite. But see, if you're going to serve God, you're going to find out that you can't serve the world. So what a, na a natural things that happens to people that are led by their flesh, guess what they'll do in the church? They'll leave. Why? Because they're flesh led. And what did Paul say in Romans? He said, For if you are led by the flesh, if you are led by the flesh, you will die. You will die. Not just naturally, spiritually, you'll die. But those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and the daughters of God because what? Well, they're going to make sacrifice. They're going to understand that they're, they are peculiar people. They're called out. They're not like other people. You know, and just to kind of settle some things, when you when we get to heaven, there's not going to be sections in heaven. There's not going to be a Baptist section. There's not going to be a, a Pentecostal section. There's not going to be a Catholic se session section in heaven. 
God didn't call us to divide. He called us to live by this book here. That's what we're called. We're holy. We're separate. All right? You were fearfully and wonderfully made in gathering together where we are reminded of the laws of God, the word of God, and what's going on in the world, how, how what we do and what the world does is totally different. It will never be the same. Sin is still sin. Those that practice sinful lifestyles will suffer the, the, the judgment of God. And I'll say it this way. A liar will go to hell just as well as a homosexual will. God, 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 God's not a respecter of people. You know, so, so many want to identify the Christian faith is that God hates homosexuals. He doesn't hate homosexuals. He doesn't hate anybody. He hates sin. So if you're going to practice sin, whether it's lying, cheating, all right, you go to hell just with, with, with the other, the homosexuals do. There's no difference. You go to hell with everybody else that, that rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, I, I don't believe the Bible and I don't think, I don't, uh, that's not how I believe according to that word. Well, God said you know. Well, I don't believe that. But that was true. This is true. It says The word of God says, let God be true. Every man alive. We just talked about it. This word is God breathed. All right? If it makes you mad, what it's trying to tell you is you ain't saved. You're not right. And I know people get mad at me, but you know what? When people get mad at me because I, I speak the word of God, I know they're not getting mad at me. They're really mad at God. I, I'm, they're just venting it at me. And see, that's what you've got to realize is when you're speaking the truth, all right, they're not mad at you, although they'll, they'll try to say they are. Really what they're mad at is they're mad at God. You know, all the other gods in the world, Muhammad is dead. Buddha, long dead. Not making matter of fact, we've talked to people with different a face. I remember one time a, a brother in the Lord was in a restaurant and somebody told him that they were Buddhist. He said, what, what did Buddha do for you? Nothing. Nothing. Why would you want to serve God that does nothing? Well, what's your God done for you? My God died on the cross for me. I have a, I have a personal relationship. He saved me. I have eternal life in me. He changed my whole life. Not only changed my life, changed my family's life, my wife's life, my family's life. He changed. He changed. He changed our destiny. Where we're going forever. Muhammad didn't. Buddha won't. Do. Any of the other ones, you know, in some of the religions, they've got thousands and thousands of thousands. All of them are dead. People get mad at God. That's not what you did. God didn't bring the curse to you. you. You bring the curse to yourself. It says in Hosea 4, 6, my people destroyed the life. But he says here, he, he says here, what happens in the church? Now go to Romans, Revel, or Romans sorry, Revelation. Revelation 1. I'm closing here. In Revelation 1, the correct title is the Revelation. Alright, it's not Revelations, it's the Revelation. Alright, and I want, let's look at verse 13. It says, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Now, the seven candlesticks are what? The, the churches. Right? The seven candlesticks represent the churches. All right? 
One light unto the Son of Man. That would be who? That would be Jesus. Clothed, clothed with a garment down to the, to the foot and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. Okay, so notice where we find Jesus. He's in the midst of where? The churches. He's in the midst of the church. Yet he, he's clothed with a garment down to the floor. He doesn't have shoes on. Why? Because he considers it holy ground. Jesus is in the midst of the church without shoes on. Why? Because it's holy ground. He considers the church holy ground. So see, attitudes that people have when they come into the church, the, the reason why something a curse will come upon you is you come into, the, into God's house with an attitude and you leave with an attitude. Guess what? You're all, you are leaving yourself for an attack by the enemy. God's not putting the curse on you. He's just taking his hands off you. All right? This is holy ground. It may not look like holy ground. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I mean, come on now. Moses was out in the middle of a desert. God said, here's a burning bush. Take your shoes off because this is holy ground. What? This mountain? This mountain is holy ground? It's filled with snakes. And you got a, you got a dry bush over there burning. Yeah. It's holy ground. Now get your shoes off. All right, but we see here, here's what the word says. It's, it says he's in the midst of them. All right, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the, to the foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. All right, now go over to chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What's Jesus doing? He's walking in the midst of the church. Barefooted. Why? Because this is holy ground. When we come to church and we when we when we come in, see, this should change your whole attitude how you come to church. Because you should just say, well, i got to go to church today. No, you get to go to church. All right? And when we play a song on, on, on the screen and we play a CD, you should say, well, I've already heard that song. Wrong attitude. Strong attitude. You're in holy ground. And i got news for you. The Lord showed me this years ago back when we were in the old building. He said, when we enter and praise and worship, he said, all of heaven is, is right there with us. Now, when he told that to me, I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know this stuff here. But he told that to me, I, I don't know, it would have been 14 years uh, in ministry now. I, I, it was at least 9 or 10 years ago when he, when he showed that to me. And I didn't know any of this stuff. He said, well, we enter praise and worship. We're in the throne. Well, here it is right here. Jesus is walking in the midst of the churches. He's walking. Barefooted. Why? Because it's holy ground. He considers his church holy ground. So what we do in church, how we come to church, how we worship him, he sees it all. He's here. Amen. He's here. Jesus sees the church, all right, as golden pure. And here's what happens when when gold is is I don't say created because it's it's already created. It's purified. They'll take gold and they'll heat it up. And what floats to the top is dross and impurities. And they'll they'll scoop that dross and that impurity off. Alright, get rid of it. Then what then what a refiner does is he'll take that gold and after he's done that, now he has a little bit more heat. 
And what happens after he adds more heat? Some more dross and some more impurities come to his body. What's he do? Takes it off. That process keeps going on, on and on, more and more, until what? So that's pure gold. It's pure gold. What is that process? Well, that, that process is, is what we're going through as a church. Every church goes through, every body of believers goes through. What, what, what the Lord does is he adds heat in our lives. To do what? To bring up the dross. So see, when you come to the house of God and something's preached to you and you don't like it, don't get mad, just get realize God's dealing with you. What's he doing? He's taking that dross and bringing it up to the surface. Now what is your part? Your part is to give it to him and say, you're right, Lord, that's... I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't feel that way. When you do that, Guess what happens to the dross? It's taken off. It's taken away. And then what happens? Now you're going to continue in the process. You're going to go back out, and guess what's going to happen in your life? More heat's going to be added to you. are going to come back in. You're going to hear more of the Word. And over a period of time, and over a period of time, there's going to be things that you see in the Word. As you get into the Word, you spend time with the Lord. The Lord's going to spend time with you, and He's going to reveal things to you that, that aren't right. And then what happens when that happens? Well, that's dross. It's impurities. So how, how do you let him have it? You give it to him. You say, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm not going to do that anymore. I call I judge it. I call it sin. Guess what? He takes it and removes it. And what's happening in your process? See, when you look at your life, you don't see a lot of change. But this has happened in over a period of time. So after a long period of time, eventually, guess what? It, 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 it's, it's more of a pure form of gold. It doesn't happen overnight. It can't happen overnight. It's going to take time. And you've got to give God time. So when somebody gets mad and they leave the church, you know, we don't want them to leave, but we, I, we understand that. God's dealing with them. And that dross is going to be there, all right, until they come back to him and let him remove those appearances. They're still going to have to deal with it. And if not, what happens, if you have ever seen a, a bar of gold or anything gold that has dross on the top of it, it looks ugly. You would look at that and say, that is not gold. That's dirty. Yeah, that's the dross on it. So what happens in, you, in, in, in your life? It looks bad. When other people look at you, they see the dross. See, when you go through that process, what will happen is other people will look at you and say, you know, you're not like everybody else. I see something different. I don't know what it is. And, that, and, that, and they may not even be a Christian. But they're going to see something is different in you. Why? Because you're allowing the God. You, you're allowing the Father to clean you up, to bring change. All this process, what, what we talk about here today, is reverencing God, learning to reverence God. You got to learn to reverence God in the church. You got to learn to reverence God in your own personal life. You got to see that you have a treasure in an earthen vessel. You have wealth inside of you that God. Put in you. It's an it's an never-ending supply of God's wealth He put inside you. So to look to the world and say, I'm looking to the world to give me wealth. No, no, no. The wealth is in you. The wealth is in you. If you'll live by His word, guess what? He's we were we discussed that earlier. He'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blood, there won't be room enough to hold it. We've seen what he can do when he does that. It ain't just a trickle. It's overflowing. He wants to do the same thing in our lives. How do we yield to it? We just talked about that. You die in your flesh. You die in yourself. You grow in God. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. This last, last scripture. Ephesians 5.
Because this is what Jesus is coming back to. I hear people, Christians, say, well, I want, I want the Lord to come back right now because of the way the world is. Well, you better look at the Word and see what it says He's coming back for. Because all that dross that's in you, He ain't coming back for that. He ain't coming back. Look here, in Ephesians 5, verse 26, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Nobody's coming back for him. He's coming back for a church that is holy not having a spot or wrinkle, but spot it's sin. The spot is sin, the wrinkle is, is ongoing sin. Or any such thing. But that it should be holy, that means separated. Without blemish. How are you going to get there? Relationship with him. You're going to have to die yourself. You're going to have to die yourself. You going to be able to do that overnight? No way. It's going to take life. You're going to have to work on it. You're going to have to work on it. It's going to have to be day in, day out. But the sooner you get started, the sooner you the sooner you start walking in it. And guess what? The sooner you start walking in it, then God will start moving on your behalf. Right? And then what happens when, you know, we, we go back to Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to everyone that is given unto me. Alright? Grace, God's grace comes unto me. But back in verse 1 it says, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. When we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, the mercies of God come. The mercies of God come. That's the first thing about the world. The mercies of God comes. Why? Because I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I'm reverencing God. Alright? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Guess what? The first thing that's going to come in my life is mercies. It doesn't say mercy. It says mercies. Plural. More than one. We all need mercy, right? We all need mercy. Glory to God. Do you get something today? Praise be to God. Let's stand up. Hallelujah.